In our gospel reading today from Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 2, verse 41 and following. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them, and he came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray again. O Lord, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. Search us and know us, O Lord. Try us and see if there be any wicked in, way in us, and lead us in the way everlasting. Speak, O Lord, for your servants listen. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this place make them acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our only redeemer. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our passage today, this uh, first Sunday after Epiphany, it really contains one of the most unique glimpses into the life of Christ that the whole Bible affords. In fact, it's the only occasion in, in the first 30 years of Jesus' life that we see him interacting with people, and more importantly, it's the only moment in the Gospels in those first 30 years where we hear Jesus Christ speak uh, in that early window uh, of his life. And at the heart of this passage is this pithy comment coming from the mouth of a young boy. And it's really one of the most memorable sayings of Jesus, isn't it? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? Or as the old King James put it, wist ye not, wist ye not that I must be about my Father's business? Some of you know the comment that Rich Mullins uh, makes on this verse. He said in one of his performances to a crowd, he says, I know that the Lord says, vengeance is mine, but I just want to be about my father's business. It's really a cryptic phrase. If you read it in the Greek, there's no word for business here. There's no word for a house in Luke's gospel, but only the sense that Jesus is genuinely incredulous. He is puzzled. He doesn't get it, that his parents would be searching for him for three days and not think immediately where he would be, where his father is in the temple where God's presence dwells. Why would you look anywhere else, he says? How could you not think to look here first? He doesn't understand. And in turn, they don't understand him. At 12 years old, 
Jesus Christ is fully, hungrily absorbed in the glory of His Father. In this ecstatic response to God, this wholehearted, ecstatic response to His Father is so much an important key to us understanding who Jesus is as our, as our mediator, how He brings us to God. Years ago, Heather and I watched a little film called, uh, it was La Gloire de Mon Père, My Father's Glory. It's a French film in subtitles, and it's really a sweet little film about a boy and his father and his adventures in Provence, and there's beautiful scenes of Provence. Uh, but what really struck with me, uh, or stuck with me about this film, is this idea of a, of a son being enamored with his father. Just enamored. Uh, he is filled with rousing admiration of his father's glory. It wasn't that long ago when our water main burst, several years ago in our house, an exciting moment for us where we saw the water bubbling up from beneath our driveway and long process of digging things up. But when the, when the plumber finally came, I was with him in our basement as he was working on the pipes. And I remember vividly as he was down there, I had a moment when I heard the pop of the blowtorch and I heard the strike of the flint and I began to smell the hot solder on the pipe and instantly I was taken back as a boy helping my father on the job site. And I found myself telling this plumber stories about my father as if I were saying to him, let me tell you something of my father's glory. And we find this through the Gospels. Jesus saying to the people, in effect, let me tell you of my Father's glory. He is bigger than you can fathom. He is stronger than you can fathom. He is far more generous and far more kind and just and merciful than you make him out to be. He is more dreadful. He is more fearful, more holy than you know. He is more worthy of your desire more worthy of your love, more worthy of your obedience and your service and your time and your gifts than you know. Jesus comes to point out his Father's glory. And as prophet, he proclaims it. As priest and mediator, he leads us to it and into it. And as king, Jesus rules his people for it. And so you see, as Savior, Jesus is Savior precisely because he saves us from the peril of not being consumed with the Father's glory, enthralled by it, captured by it, taken by it at every moment of the day. In Isaiah 30, God describes his people. And God says this about Israel. He says, my people turn to the prophets and to the teachers. And my people say this, they say, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. And let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. <laughs> let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. That's enough for now, Paul, <laughs> says Felix. If I want to hear more later, I'll let you know. This is the disease this is the sin that sweeps through our world. Preacher, give us smooth things. Preacher, give us pleasant dreams. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. 
And Isaiah comes to the people of God and he says, the Lord of hosts, him shall you honor as holy. The Lord of hosts, let him be your fear. Let him be your dread, he says. But the people of God say, no, no. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. You see, that's Satan's great argument. That's the serpent's great argument. Enough of him. He's had enough attention. It's time for something else. And I want all of us to be discerning enough to hear this satanic whisper in so much of what passes through the world in our economies and in our markets, in our politics, in our education, in our uh, urban development, in our entertainment, the satanic whisper, let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. It's the great disease of our age. And if we're to be like those children of Issachar, who in David's age, who are David's day, they were commended by this phrase, they understood the times. They knew the times, these children of Issachar. If we're to be like them, then we need to discern the air that we're breathing in the 21st century and hear where this, the, 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 the enemy of our souls is whispering this thing. That's enough of the Holy One of Israel. Let's hear no more about that. Move on to something else. How is it? This is one of my great distresses in life. How is it that a man or a woman of God can find the things of God at times so tedious? How is it that I can do that, saved, redeemed, filled with the Spirit of God, and yet at times I can find time spent alone with God wearisome? But here's Jesus, our prophet and our priest, and our king, and he's in the dawn, and he's in the rush of his young manhood, when he could be absorbed in so many other things. And he's ecstatically absorbed in the goodness and the glory of God. In fact, he is so absorbed in God that days fly by. Days fly by. One day they're gone, and three days they're, they're, they're looking for him, and days fly by as he learns, and as he listens, and as he gathers, and as he feasts on the knowledge of his Father. He wants to be where God is. He wants to be learning of his Father. He wants to be near the presence. He wants to be admiring his Father's unrivaled fame. God as creator. God as sustainer. God as savior. God as the great all in all, from whom and through whom and to whom are all things, to whom be glory forever. God who makes the most majestic thing in creation look like dust in comparison. Jesus wants to be near him. And we see this in the Psalms. In fact, the Psalms, they point forward to the longings of Jesus. And when we get to Psalm 63, we hear the pining of a 12-year-old boy. <laughs> oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life itself. My life is all about you, O oh God. You satisfy in you alone. I want you. 
You know, there's a lot that could be said today uh, in this passage. There's a lot that could be said about our Lord's incarnation. Clearly, the Son of God has become truly human. He learns. He asks questions. He grows into the knowledge of His Father, one that He had known from all eternity. He, he learns Him all over again. We could talk about the submission of Christ to His parents, fulfilling all of the commandments of the law so that we could be brought into His righteousness. We could be talking about family dynamics in uh, this first century setting and how it is that a parent could lose track of their child for four days and, and not go to prison. We could talk about all these things. But as important as these are, I don't think that they are as important as this vision of Jesus Christ who from the beginning of his life, with all of his heart, he does what we fail and continually fail to do. Being all about the things of his Father. For you and I, we listen to the satanic whisper too often. And God grows so easily dim and small and unimportant to us. And our business looms large. And God's business takes second place. We do that. Ephesus was a great church. Ephesus was a mighty church. Ephesus had Timothy as its bishop. And yet Jesus comes to Ephesus and he says, you've lost your first love. Sardis was a great church. Sardis had this reputation of being alive to God. But Jesus comes to Sardis and he says, you're dead. That life is no longer in you. Laodicea was once a thriving church, but the Lord comes to her and he says, you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. But brothers and sisters, hear the gospel today. Jesus Christ is never cold or lukewarm. He is never cold towards the Holy One of Israel. And He is always about His Father's business. And today, He stands at the door and He knocks. The Lord comes to us and He knocks at the door of our hearts and He wants to bring us into His life. He wants to bring us into His passion. He wants to bring us into His ardor for the Lord so that His hot desire for the Lord becomes our heat. And what is dim in us becomes bright in Christ's light. And what is weak in us becomes strong in Christ's strength. And I pray today that we'd hear the Lord Jesus Christ who was utterly, consumedly, enthralled with his Father, that we'd hear him knocking at our hearts, that we'd let him at Christ Church live that life through us so that we become all about God. In the morning we say with the psalmist, O Lord, to you I direct my prayer. We can't wait to get up in the morning because life is about God. Life is about him. Let's open our hearts today and pray that Christ would live his great fervor for the Father through us. O Lord Jesus Christ, you alone who are utterly for God, live your devotion, we pray, through us. Take what is weak and make it strong. Take what is cold and make it hot. Take what is dim and make it bright. May we be that people who is saying, tell us more about the Holy One of Israel. 
Lead us more to the Holy One of Israel, I pray. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, we pray, and revive our hearts. We pray it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.